Bibles to Genesis 50, please. Genesis 50. Started there. I've been thinking a lot about what the world needs the very most of right now and put a lot of thought into, into this. And I think what the world needs most right now, or maybe just what we need here in that Green and in our community and our wider area, is, is really four things. Four things. We need a Chick-fil-A in Warsaw. Chick-fil-A in Warsaw, cheaper groceries, forgiveness, and hope. Two of those things I'm serious about, other two I'm kidding, I'll let you decide which ones. Uh, we, always, we always need forgiveness and hope. You know, so long as we live in a world where there is darkness and despair, no, no matter what and wherever we are in the world, so long as there's sin and sin brings darkness and despair, so long as there's death and suffering and angst, there's always going to be a need for forgiveness and hope. And the closing of Genesis is a story of forgiveness and hope. And I hope today you are so encouraged by Christ and what he's done for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for your forgiveness and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I hope today, God, we would be reminded of how faithful and good you are. Help us to hear from you, to be open to you and your spirit and what you're applying to our hearts now. Thank you for loving us and being faithful. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to get right into the text this morning. It's Genesis 50. Uh, we left off in Genesis 15, so we, we skipped a couple of things. Uh, and I'm not going to try to explain all of that, what we just skipped, other than Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau, Jacob had lots, he had lots of wives and he had lots of babies, and that became the 12 tribes of Israel. The, one of those key people was Joseph. Joseph was the popular one because he was the firstborn of Rachel, and Jacob really liked Rachel. Remember Rachel and Leah, there was a little switcheroo that happened, and we don't need to get into that whole story. Uh, but so Joseph is the special one. Special Joseph, he gets sold into slavery. Well, first he gets beaten up and thrown into a pit, and then he's uh, sent off into slavery, and then he's falsely accused, and he goes to prison. And then from prison, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and he's restored, uh, or he's lifted up to an incredible, incredible position of power. And Joseph then, he, uh, he leads and reigns over Egypt with Pharaoh in this sort of remarkable thing. I just skipped a whole bunch of stuff. I know that. You were to have read the Bible, so that was your homework. So where we pick up is Jacob and his uh, children are all with Joseph in Egypt, and Jacob, and at the start of 50, dies. And what happens in the first 14 verses is Jacob, his body is taken back to the land of Canaan, and he's going to be buried with his, uh, with his ancestors, with Abraham and Isaac and, and Rebekah and Sarah, and he's gone, he's gone and he's buried with them. 
he is given a royal sort of uh, celebration of life. They honor him. They mourn him. Egyptian officials go, go with Pharaoh and his family. There are, the whole family goes back to the land of Canaan, but Pharaoh wisely keeps back Joseph's family and his wives and children so that Joseph comes back. Joseph is too valuable to Egypt to lose to this. Because he very well could have gone back to Canaan and been like, hey, I'm good. But he comes back. And God is working within that. And we'll learn that in Exodus. But that's the first 14 verses, is this sort of funeral morning crying. Now we get into uh, our text for this morning. We're going to look at Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came, and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. We are your slaves. Joseph's brothers... Uh, realized that you know their dad was probably protecting them from you know the ramifications of how they treated him they're the ones that that took joseph and threw him in the pit and then they're the ones that said hey let's ship him off to slavery and th there was probably 12 brothers there were probably ongoing fights we all we heard about were the big ones you know not the day-to-day -day stuff which we could just infer you know my brother and I, we have stories like of, you know, shovels and BB guns and, um, you know, cookie sheets upside the head. Uh, I'll let you know who had the most brain damage. Uh, the person, you know, sulking about it still, right? Um, you know, so there's that, those wrestling match and the bickering and the fighting. We, we only heard about the big stuff. So they're thinking about all of their past sin and all of their past brokenness and all of the things that they've done wrong to Joseph over the years, and they're thinking, okay, the chickens are now coming home to roost. What is going to happen to us now that our dad is not there to protect us? And so they start sort of managing, managing things, and they go on sort of a PR campaign. They make up. They make this up. All the commentaries uh, that I was studying agreed uh, Jacob really didn't say this, but they go to Joseph and they say, Dad says you have to forgive us. We talked to him, and he said, you know, last thing was, you know, you have to forgive us. Don't hold it against us. And so Joseph, you know, if we think about maybe how we feel in situations where we need to forgive people, if they really have just sort of made this up, is this an act of contrition? There's no real contrition there. And so from the position of power and the one that has to do the forgiving, we often like there to be a little bit of contrition, don't we? We want people to have a little tears, you know, really work for it. But Joseph, he, he looks at them and he sees no act of real contrition. There's no real repentance. They're just trying to cover their own skin. 
And if you think about the, relatable, the relatableness of this story, we have all found ourselves in situations where we run our own sort of personal campaigns to make sure we don't look as bad as we think, <laughs> as we know we are on the inside. There is a great deal of fear that's going on inside each of these brothers where they are afraid that, one, they'll be found out. What if the Egyptians find out what bad brothers we are? What if they find out that we were so cruel to him, and they all love Joseph, like Joseph has taken care of them. So Joseph is the man, and you've mistreated him. How are they going to feel? And so there's these fears of, you know, like we think cancel culture is bad. Now they were fearful of being canceled. They were fearful of being rooted out, discovered for who they truly were. What they needed was forgiveness. So they go on to this sort of campaign, and then they say, they say to him, we are your slaves. We are your slaves. And so they're trying to make themselves look better than they are. They're trying to get forgiveness of which they're not truly, you know, sorry for. And they are also now trying to work off their salvation. They're trying to work for their forgiveness, and they say, we are your slaves. And friends, if you want to paint a picture of false religion, it's that. But if you think about your life and what you've tried to do to get forgiveness, how much has been an outward sort of appearance of things, how much has been you working, how much has been you trying to appease God, how much has been a false relationship with God to sort of manage your appearance? And my question for you would be, have you been trying to earn the forgiveness of God? And how much struggle has that brought in your life to feel like, am I ever going to be worthy and will God ever love me and will I ever be worthy of what God desires of me? How much has that ruined your life by not knowing the good news of God? The good news that Jesus Christ forgives you. That Jesus Christ lays his life down for you. That his righteousness is now your righteousness in him. That you are made right in him. Friends, there is a difference in that story. And it's one that often gets mixed up in religion where we feel like it's all performance-based. The brothers come to him and say, we'll, we'll be your slaves. You just have to forgive us. That's how we treat God, isn't it, oftentimes? Forgive me, I'll work this one off, God. I'll be your slave. We try to manage, manage the conflict. When there's conflict in our families, when there's conflict in our lives, when there's sin and there's brokenness, we all sort of go on personal campaigns. Joseph's brothers are no different. What's the rest of the story? Well, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. How often do we need to hear that message? Don't be afraid. And he reminds them, am I in the place, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly 
to them. Healing and hope come from having the right perspective. Healing and hope come from having the right perspective. Joseph says very clearly, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that it would be somewhat of a temptation for Joseph to think that he was in that position. Incredibly powerful. He's been able to, over the course of his life, if he says, I need this done, he could snap his fingers, and he would have countless servants ready and willing to do what he's asking him to do. Would you have maybe a little bit of a pride or power issue if you had that sort of influence and and that you could do those sorts of things? I mean, I know I would. I would have a lot of fun with it. I'd be like, build slipping slides everywhere, you know? What would you do? That, that would be my dream. Anyways, we would slip and slide everywhere. I'm distracted by that. I'm thinking about it, right? But Joseph is in a position of power and influence, yet he has the understanding and perspective to say to his brothers, you have nothing to be afraid of because I know my place in this world and I most certainly am not God. And he doesn't let the pride and the power and the influence that he has over so many, over thousands of people, impact what he understands deeply about with himself. And that is, is that this whole entire time, God has been at work in his life. That God is the one who has cared for him and ministered to him. That God has been at work. And so he says to his brothers, you guys intended this for harm. You guys were, you were out against me, but I'll tell you what, God has been at work and it is, it is beyond belief and understanding of how God has orchestrated and worked through all of this to care for me right now in this moment. And he's not only caring for me, he's caring for our entire family. And he's not just caring for our entire family, he's caring for every generation after. Joseph has perspective. And I think it would have been hard for Joseph to gain this perspective all along the way, right? I mean, I, I'm sure that when he was thrown into the pit, he's like, God's got a plan for this. Or when he's shipped off and he's in the caravan on his way to Egypt, I, I, I'm sure he's in the back, in the, you know, chained up and thinking, God's got a plan for this one. Or when he's lied about and he's thrown in prison and he's forgotten in prison, I'm sure he's thinking, oh, God's got a plan for this. We all have stories and we all have moments in our life where there is the furthest from our minds would, be, would us for us to think God has a plan for this. God can use this. There's stories uh, in my own family, my own family of just the hurt that's going that happens, hurt that happens in life, a family conflict of brokenness of despair. And every one of us can think of instances right now, just as I'm talking sort of broadly about it, you know your story. Story of siblings that have turned from God. Stories of loss of loved ones. Stories of sick children. My mom and dad were told when my younger brother Joel was, uh, was just shy of his first, uh, first birthday, they were told that Joel was going to die. He was, uh, he was sick, he had choked, 
and he had developed double pneumonia in both lungs. They punctured his lung, and his lung collapsed, and they said he may not make it. I don't know that mom and dad knew in that moment that God would work, and that God has a plan for this. But God was at work. And all of us have stories just like that, of God reaching into situations that seem so broken and so filled with despair that how could God work through this? And Joel, he's, he's fine. He's a little short. and We always blamed, we always blamed that on his illness. Uh, he had his first birthday in the hospital, and we have the pictures of it. And... and but he's serving God today. He served as a missionary. He's serving still to minister to those who are broken and hurting and need help the most. God is at work. I have experienced it in my life, and I know that you've experienced it in yours. And so Joseph gains perspective by looking at God's ongoing faithfulness and the perseverance of God's faithfulness in our lives and in his. And he says, I look to this situation and I realize that I am not God because there's no way that I could keep all of these things and use all of this. That God had to be at work. And so why would I hold a grudge against you? Why would I manipulate you? Why would I hurt you and never forgive you when I can see all the good that God has done through you? Perspective. Time and God's ongoing faithfulness give us perspective. Would you consider your life? How has God's continued faithfulness and love helped you in your life? Let it give you perspective. Verse 22, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. He lived a long, blessed life, is what that section's about. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath to God and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. I don't, uh, I don't uh, say the following to sound nerdy and Bible nerdy, but if you look at verse uh, verse 24 and verse 25, there's a repeating of phrase. God will surely come to your aid. It says it in 24, and then he repeats it again, when God surely comes to your aid. The word behind the words, you know, we have the English translation, and the Hebrew words there, they, there is the same word, God will surely come. It's there twice, it repeats itself. It's written four times in that passage. If it's written once, it's important. If it's written twice, it's doubly important, and it emphasizes it big time. 
usually they stop at two times. Like, all right, we've emphasized this enough. The fact that it's there four times says what? We should probably pay attention to it. And this is it right here. Joseph is saying God is reliable. God is faithful. God has not forgotten his promise. God cares so deeply for us. It will feel like maybe he doesn't. We're going to spend 400 year, more years here in Egypt. But God will most certainly come. God will most certainly come and he will lead us home. And so what I want you to know and what I want you to pass on from generation to generation is this, that God will not forget us. That just as he didn't forget me in the pit and just as he didn't forget me in prison, he's not going to forget you now. And he is going to be faithful to his promise. God will fulfill his promise. So Joseph is doubling down, and the closing message of Genesis is that God is a fulfilling God of his promises, and he cares for his people. He is faithful, and he is good. I said at the beginning that we need four things. Chick-fil-A and Warsaw, cheaper groceries, forgiveness, and hope. Two of those are really important to us. Forgiveness. How is God's faithfulness and his love for you give you perspective right now in this moment to forgive? How has he been faithful and caring for you and loving you? How has he forgiven you? When we think about forgiveness, it's, you know, Jesus, he, he really preaches quite a bit on it, I think, because he knows how much we need it. But his perspective that the person in Matthew 18 doesn't have, perspective is lost. He says, or is it 19? I get my numbers mixed up. doesn't matter. It's in that section. He's the one that's forgiven so much, and then he turns around and he demands for someone who owes him much less to repay his debt. He's lost perspective. Lost perspective of just how much God forgave him and loved him and cared for him. Jesus challenges us to have perspective, to say, you know, think of God's ongoing faithfulness in your life and how has he been at work. Would you now forgive? You know, Paul, he teaches us on what love is. He says love is patient, love is kind. But one of the most difficult aspects of love is this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Are there wrong are we are we keeping track of the wrongs done to us? Why not we why not try this? Get perspective and remember all the wrongs that Christ has forgiven for you. I asked my uh, college students this week this question. In the midst of of your sin. And then I had them all confess all of their sins to me. They went really well. It was life-changing, transformative. I asked them this question. In the midst of your sin, how does God feel about you? Sense of this, God can no longer use me. I'm not worthy of God. This brokenness that I'm left for nothing. Or is it this? That despite my sin, God still loves me. 
despite my brokenness, despite my rejection, despite my despair, despite these things that I've turned from God to visit again and again, despite that, God still loves me. God still loves you. God still loves you. God wants to use you. God cares for you deeply. Forgiveness is a matter of perspective. How has God been faithful in your life? Remember that and draw upon it. And then I think what we need probably the most right now is forgiveness and hope. Joseph's last words are a message of hope. It's a message of hope. And it's interesting. You know, in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 gives you the rundown of the faithful. And they tell you all the you know, Sunday school stories that you always learn about. But when, it gets, when he gets to Joseph and he's ready to make his point, he doesn't talk about the pit, he doesn't talk about prison, and he doesn't talk about Pharaoh. He talks about hope. He talks about Joseph having faith that God will bring Israel out of Egypt. And he says, when you go, don't forget me. Take me and bury me among my ancestors. God will make good on his promises. you believe that today? That you can have hope in a God who fulfills his promise. And here's his promise. That Jesus Christ is coming again. And he will forgive and he will heal and he will make his home here with us. I heard an illustration this week and I want to share it with you. The story of a missionary who was going around and sharing about his mission, Shepherd's House in Wisconsin. Shepherd's House, probably never heard of it, and I hadn't either. Shepherd's House takes in orphans as well as children who are mentally and physically disabled. And what they do at Shepherd's House is they care for the children in so many ways, and one of the things that they very much emphasize is the story of Jesus. And they teach Jesus to these kids, and they tell them of Jesus' life. They tell them of his death, and they tell of his resurrection. They tell of his reign from heaven. And they also tell these children that Jesus is coming again. And so as the missionary travels and shares about their mission at Shepherd House, sometimes questions get asked, like what, you know, what are the kids like, and what do they enjoy, and what can we do to help? And then they ask the question, what is your biggest problem at Shepherd's House? And you would think, man, they might have all sorts of problems, right? They say, no, our, our biggest problem is dirty windows. Dirty windows? You know, it's like, you know, a little Windex will solve that. They're like, well, what do you mean dirty windows are the biggest problem you have? And they said, well, you know, we tell them about Jesus, and we tell them, that he loves them, that he died for them. And we tell them that he's coming again. And so every morning, most children, every morning they go to the window and they look to see if Jesus is coming. That is hope. It's hope. And friends, what we need most today is forgiveness. 
forgiveness for ourselves that Christ died for you and he loves you. And a hope that he's coming again. Would you fix your eyes on him? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for forgiveness today. And may we have childlike faith that looks to you to come home again. We thank you that we are not left here on our own without you. That your spirit is here today, working in us, convicting us, guiding us, caring for us, ministering to our souls right now. May we listen to you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the kindness you have shown us over and over and over again. Despite our sin, Lord, you love us still. Thank you for your grace and your love. Work in our lives today. Lead us home to you. May there be many dirty windows all around our home. We look to you to come home. Thank you for the hope that we have. In Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.